Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Moms and Coaching Podcast. I'm Brooke Wyckoff, women's basketball coach at Florida State University and mom to my daughter, Avery. And I'm Erica Lambert, women's basketball coach at Abilene Christian University and mom to my daughters, Ava and Maya. Being a mom and being a coach are two amazing jobs, but being both provides a unique set of challenges, especially in the world of college athletics. So on this podcast, we discuss our experiences, share some advice, and have real conversations with other moms in coaching who get it. If you're a college coach, a high school coach, anyone working in athletics, or a working parent in general, we're so glad you're here listening in. We wanna encourage you to win the day and keep your family first. In this episode, we're talking with Vanessa Blair Lewis, head women's basketball coach at Bethune-Cookman University in Daytona Beach, Florida. Vanessa's coaching resume is chock full of success, including over 300 career victories. She is a Hall of Famer at Mount St. Mary's, where she played and coached for nine years, and she also earned Northeast Conference Hall of Fame honors while she was there. Vanessa's now in her 13th year at Bethune-Cookman, where they have experienced such a tremendous program turnaround under her leadership. Vanessa's earned MEAC Coach of the Year honors four times. Over the last five seasons alone, she has led Bethune-Cookman to a 107-48 overall record, 68-12 in conference. Her teams have won four MEAC regular season titles, leading to four postseason berths, including the first ever NCAA tournament berth in 2019. So needless to say, Coach Vanessa has had her program on a roll. And when we recorded this, we had no idea that a couple short weeks later, her season would be canceled. I know that many of you have seen the news that Bethune-Cookman has opted out of the 2021 season. We're so disappointed for her. We feel like if anybody can get through this, it's Vanessa. She's one of those people whose ambition and humility just naturally raises the people around her. And we're sure that she can lead her program through such an uncertain time. Vanessa's family is so much fun. She has two young boys. Blair is six and Bryce is two. She's homeschooling them this year. And Vanessa's husband, Eric Lewis, is an NBA referee. So he was in the bubble for a few months during the pro season. And the day we recorded this episode, he was actually due to come home for the first time, which was so exciting for them. So Give a listen and uh, disregard our discussions about the upcoming season as those are outdated now, but there's still so much wisdom shared in this episode and we're excited for you to hear it. All right, welcome back to the Moms in Coaching podcast. We have a very special guest with us today. We have Bethune-Cookman head coach, Vanessa Blair. Vanessa, good morning. Good morning, Erica. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you. No problem. I couldn't wait to. I love, I just love this. I remember when Brooke started everything with moms and coaching and was like, oh, I remember her first talk and she was so nervous. She's like, I just thought there should be a place for us. And you have definitely made a place for us. Well, we are so thankful just for you being one of our day ones with moms and coaching. You have, and you are an amazing role model for so many um, and for so many different reasons, which we're going to get into uh, this during this chat. Um, but first, let's just start a little bit with catching up on what's going on right now. Uh, you 
got a lot going on um, with your program though right now as we're transitioning into about to get into practice how has COVID affected your basketball life and your team where are you guys right now with everything day to day well I, I think we were just speaking a little earlier it is like and, and every mom will know let's just say you're going on a road trip and you have you know a couple of kids even if you have one it's still crazy but um, and you pack the car up and it's, you got everything in there from, oh, is he going to wear blue today? I need four change of outfits. I need binkies. I need diapers. You know, I need all of this. And then it's like, oh, okay, no, we're going to decide to fly. And it's like, okay, now I got to condense this whole back of the caravan into two bags. So we're not going to have four change of outfits today. We'll wash when we get to the hotel. Like every day is packing and unpacking. And it's just... I, I keep telling our girls right now, the only team or the only thing undefeated is COVID. Mm. It's undefeated. Mm. So we, we, no one has found a, you know, a cure, a vaccine. So we have to cautiously approach our opponent. Mm. And so that's what we do. Every single day, it's just a cautious approach. Mm. I love that. I mean, I hate that COVID's <laughs> undefeated right now, I, I, right. <laughs> but that is such a, a great way to approach it. Just that day by day. Yeah cautious approach. So another thing that's been going on, and we just, we love to catch up on these current event type things, um, this year with all the fight with social justice, um, with the protests, with black lives matter, with the murder of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. How have you led your team through that? These, these really pivotal moments, um, when all this has really come to the for forefront nationally, the huge push to vote. Um, are you guys doing things and having those conversations still and, and moving towards November 3rd as a team and, and uh, just talk about all those kinds of things you guys have been doing? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, March hit and everybody, the whole world was at a standstill. Teams were in tournaments or on their way and we were just told, go home, stay inside. And it was just like, what is going on? It was something that the world had never seen. Uh, well, let's say our generation, maybe a couple that has never seen anything like this. I literally was in Norfolk at our tournament and Eric was doing, my husband was doing the Miami Heat game. He was literally on the court. And so we're, I packed up the kids, we get in the car, we're like, okay, tournament's over. Okay, let's head back. And as I'm driving down 95, the calls keep coming in from parents and friends, like go to the grocery store as soon as you get back. And I'm like, what? And then Eric calls and I'm like, how could he be calling me now? We're in the third, he's in the third quarter. And he's like, babe, the NBA just canceled it. I'll be on my way home. I'll meet you there. So it was panic. And I think it was panic for a lot of people initially, especially when Brooke, like, you know, and Erica, that we're, we're in charge of kids and their parents are dependent on us that they're safe. So my first mode was get all of these kids home. Let's just go and get safe. And then Shortly thereafter, Ahmaud Arbery, we were able to witness a murder. Had we still been playing, had we still been so engaged, it may have come across your Twitter feed and maybe mine, but I, maybe I wouldn't have been able to invest in it, but we were all sitting still. And that is the whole thing about what's going on now. We have been in a place to be able to sit still. And then not a month later, George Floyd happened. So as we're unpacking, we are on Zoom calls with our kids. We are giving them an avenue just to vent. And the sad thing is for years, we've known about this. 
in the in the African American community, and and I won't just say that people have known that this injustice has gone on, but now we all were able to see it just like COVID at the same time, and it brought it immediately to the forefront. And because the world was sitting still, we were able to now say, hey, you know what? We can't sweep this under the rug. We've got to we've got to talk about this now. We've we've got to have reform. And so for a lot of our girls, it was having an avenue, it was having a place to dump this. It was able, they were able to talk about experiences that they may have had that given the time, we weren't able to sit still to listen long enough. And so now those things turn into, well, what are we gonna do? You know, we've lost some civil rights leaders like John Lewis and even uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, like in, in these recent months, like these people were fighting for social justice for fighting for women's rights. And so what are we gonna do now that the world is listening? And so we've taken to you know, protesting and, and the girls knew how to do that and do it the right way. And we, they got involved with signing up every team at Bethune-Cookman to vote. And so whether they were absentee or from Florida, like going to vote and you know, obviously the NCAA taking that day off so that they can use their voice. Um, and using their platforms, but having also a space on campus because we're an HBCU, um, I won't say it was always front and center for us, but those social issues were always things that we were concerned about. So it wasn't like, oh, wow, this is new. No, this has always been happening and we have always had to thrive anyway. So it was just another place, but it was, like I said, the world sat still and now we were able to you know, deal with it. And I tell our girls all the time, this, this moment isn't beyond you, it's up to you. Like I have kids that, that are two African-American boys that are gonna have to grow up and based on what you do right now, changes it for them. And I think some of the issue is they want the change to happen right now and change happens, but it just doesn't happen overnight. So we have to keep our foot to the plow. So along those lines, you mentioned uh, these conversations with your players specifically and they have a black woman to look up to, great role model in you. I'm curious if you could tell us more about the Women of Color Coaching Group and what that network has meant to you personally and professionally. Well, I think <clears throat> Brooke knows we kind of go way back. I was I started coaching at 22 as soon as I finished playing overseas and um, I was an assistant coach for two years and then my head coach stepped down. So at 24, I was a division one head coach. I was like three years older than the players I had just played against. So I've been in the business a very long time, but I almost was by myself on an island because I didn't have anyone really that looked like me that I could say, hey, I'm having a problem with this. I'm 24 years old. Like, who do I go talk to? Like, and so much was depending on me, especially in our community that, wow, Vanessa, you got a head job. We don't get them that often. We don't recycle well, so you can't mess this up. And I had in, I was at Mount St. Mary's, so I was in Maryland and the closest, I think African-American coach to me was Vivian Stringer and Rutgers. And I'm thinking, I'm looking at Vivian like, she is not gonna talk to me. Like she is, oh, hail the queen, you know? And Carolyn Pack had, you know, just won, you know, a national championship, you know? And it was just like, but they were so, they were giants to me. And so when the walk group came along, I was just like, yes, sign me up because I wanted, other young coaches to, to be able to ask these questions. You know, sometimes when people don't look like you, they assume that they're very different than you. And really, you know, what separates us is just 
minute when you get to know a person. And so I think having those discussions with ADs that sometimes don't look like us as far as women to men and black to white and all of those orientations, um, being able to have a safe space to open up and to share and to not feel like, oh, do, am I stupid for saying this? Or how do I approach this and I don't look like that angry person or someone who's not fit for the job? And then how do I advance? How do I get other opportunities when sometimes I don't see me progressing, someone like me progressing in this field? And so that was a place and is a place for collaboration, um, for a place to kind of lay it, let, your, let the bags down that you have to carry and just be able to be authentic with each other. How would a younger coach get involved with that group? It's really just a small knit group and it's kind of like an invitation only. And um, I just think that is for the sake and safety of being transparent, that there's some things in that group that we share that, you know, you just don't want written on Twitter or somebody, you know, something else like that. So I think, you know, for the most part, it is, is an invitation only, but trust me, the things we're talking about there, we are mentoring other people, you know, that are young girls that, that look like us or, you know, that have some of these concerns. So even though we may be a little bit inclusive, the outreach is far reaching. You use the word progress, progressing. How do I progress? This is your 13th season at Bethune-Cookman. You've had a lot of success there. First NCAA tournament appearance in 2019. What has kept you at Bethune-Cookman? Because we don't have to get into the details, but I'm sure you've had other opportunities since you've been there. So what keeps you there? Um, I'll be honest. I left Mount St. Mary's. I went there at 17. I played there. I came back. I coached there for nine years. And I'm a spiritual, you know, I'm a religious person. I just felt like there was something inside of me that said, you know, I just wanted something different. And it wasn't BCS, you know, some of the young coaches, like I got to get to the next level. I was never that person. I just always wanted to make an impact. And I just felt like where I was, I wanted a change and I didn't know what it was and I didn't know what it looked like. And then a call came from uh, Miss Booker, who was our SWA here, still here. And she's like, hey, I have a position open at Bethune-Cookman. And I was like, um, where is that? <laughs> You know, sometimes you just get so in your region and you're like, uh, and so she was just like, uh, please come down. And I had met her on the road because she used to be the head coach here. And so I came down and I just felt in my spirit that this was a place I needed to be for girls at a time that looked like me and for a message that needed to be heard, that they were enough, that they literally are enough. And, you know, we always talk about that there is the power of example when you're a mom, and then there's the example of power and how, to, how, how, how those are two different things. And so you have the power of example that we emulate as moms every day. Your kid is watching you, how you react to a win, how you react to a loss, how you react to you not finishing the cereal at the bottom of the bowl after I lost, um, all of those things. Um, but then you have an example of power where people abuse their power and you talk about social justice and there are great, there are great police people and then there's some that abuse power and those people are in every field. And so you wanna make sure that you are emulating an example you know, for our girls. And that's what I wanted to be to these young women. I wanted to be an example of that um, and the power of example and not the example of power. That's so, that is, just so powerful. And it brings you back to our very first moms and coaching meeting um, about six years ago in Tampa. And 
I'll never forget. So we were in there and there were a lot of people, which happens at the meetings. A lot of people were, you know, talking and, and kind of venting about how hard it is to be a mom in this, in this profession and some of the difficulties they'd run into professionally. And I'll never forget, you spoke up and you're like, can I just remind us all here that we have an amazing opportunity to be examples to our young women, our players, of how fabulous and amazing it is to be a mother and to coach at the same time. And and it just brought everything. I mean, it just, that shook me because I was all up in the, you know, wow, this is hard and we're venting and we're, you know, and you brought it back to what it really is about and the choice that we make to be a mom and to be a coach and the beautiful opportunity that it is to be that example. So you have been that, uh, <laughs> you are to, to so many and, but let's talk about you being a mom and, and take it back though, to your amazing husband, who is an NBA referee, um, Eric and, and who is getting out of the bubble today, right? Um, the NBA bubble, he's been refing. he refed game two and game five in the finals, NBA finals, which is amazing. But how did you guys meet? And then just talk about the progression of, because you guys have these amazing careers, have deciding to have children, how that all happened. And a little bit about Blair and Bryce, your, your two young Kings. Yes. Yes. Um, I'm so glad he's not on this call because he would have a very different version of how we met. You know how that goes. Um, but, uh, I moved down here and, uh, Eric was an alumnus of VCU. So he was always in the gym because his former coaches were still there. And I, I was on a mission. We were last and last of every statistical category. And I had no time to be you know, messing around. I was like, I'm gonna bring a championship to this program. And even my AD was like, uh, Vanessa, just, I just want them to have a good experience or whatever. I'm like, well, you don't know who you hired. Like that's, that's gonna happen too also but we're gonna and so I was just really focused my first few years here I was focused and then the men's head men's coach I would always see him in and around the gym but it was you know I was coaching and I was kind of and a lot of people come back you know so the head men's coach said hey Vanessa have you ever met an NBA referee I was like no do they suck as bad as college referees <laughs> and he's like oh well here's Eric Lewis he's an NBA referee I was like oh hi <laughs> I mean, to me, it was just like, they're all bad, right? And he's just like, uh, well, I'm not that bad. So then I, obviously I have my foot in my mouth. I'm the new girl in town. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I just said that. And then I just play it off. And he's like, he's like, no, Eric is an NBA referee for real. He graduated from here. So then we just kind of start talking basketball. And, um, and it was like, interesting. It was like, wow, I, I kind of asked him some questions. Is this the travel? You know how, as soon as you meet a referee, it's like, would you have called this? And, you know, trying to, and so we literally, he would come in town and out of town and I would see him. And then I knew him. It was like, oh, so one day I leave practice. I sprint to my office. I change my clothes. I'm playing volleyball. I'm playing softball. I work out all the time. Like I'm, I'm on all these different things outside of playing. And so I come back into the gym to get my bag and I have on this Dunkin' Donut shirt. <laughs> and he says, hey, coach. I was like, hey, he's like, you work at Dunkin' Donuts part-time? And I'm like, what? And I look at my shirt, I'm like, oh no, this is the sponsor for my softball team. He's like, oh, you play softball? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, do you mind if I come? And I was just like, all this time, y'all, he had been asking me out for ice cream. He would always say, do you wanna go get ice cream? He was a perfect gentleman. 
And I would always say no, because I knew what that was and I just was not ready for that. And so he kept saying, no, do you want to get some ice cream? I said, no. So then when he asked, could he come to the game? I'm like, this dude is slick because how can I say it's a public place? Then I would be really looking like a, so I said, yeah, sure. And he's, he knew the field and I'm like, oh, now I'm nervous. Like, I don't want you to come. Like, I don't want to, I just didn't want to have that. But anyway, he shows up and one of my players comes to, all my players would come to the game because I'm sure they wanted to ever, but, or coach me. But they would come and hang out at the field. And so I saw him talking to one of my players. And after the game, Shakia's is like, oh, I didn't know you knew my coach, Eric. I was like, Coach Eric, he coached AAU with James Henry. Y'all all know James Henry. And so back in the day, he coached da da da. And I was like, oh, wow. I was like, oh, small world. So he does know a little bit about basketball. Like, okay. And so from there, no lie, we're leaving. And he's like, hey, you want to come to China with me? And I'm like, we just went from ice cream to China. I haven't even gone for ice cream with you. Like I didn't even invite you here. And then he's like, I said, China. He's like, yeah, the NBA preseason is gonna start off in China. Every preseason, you know how they go somewhere. And he's like, do you wanna go to China? And I was like, ah, oh, there's no way if I go to China, that is not the other side of the menu. I was like, mm, no, I said, I can't go. And then I thought about it, like, I'm a coach. We're about to start practice. I was like. He's like, oh, I'll, you can just come over for a couple of days. And I was like, to China for a couple of days? Like, that's a whole day flight. And then I was just like, I really appreciate it, but I can't. So we leave. And it was five years of this, y'all, of him asking me out for ice cream, of him finally coming to a softball game, and then him asking me to go to China. So when he left and turned left at the light, I turned right. In my heart, I said, if he comes back from China and he asks me out for ice cream, I will go. Like, I, I just said, I think I'm ready now. Like mentally, we're in a good place. The program's in a good place. I was coming out of a divorce. So that's part of it that I just wasn't ready for it. And then he came back and I saw him in the gym. It was probably like three weeks later, you know, they were gone for a long time. And then he, I saw him in the gym. I was like, hey, and he said, I said, oh, when'd you get back? He said, I just landed. So the first thing you did was come to the gym. I said, hmm. I said, well, whenever you're ready, I'd like to go get some ice cream. And literally y'all from that day, that night we actually went more to ice cream, but we went to go to, to um, Carabas or something. And then afterwards he's like, hey, I want you to follow me somewhere. I'm like, Eric, in my mind, I'm like, don't ruin this. Like it's a good first date. It's been five years. Like. Don't push it like you're gonna you're gonna turn me off. He's like, just follow me. And I'm like, ah, I know you, but I kind of don't, but okay. So I follow him into this neighborhood and pull up at this house. And I'm like, you know how guys, I'm like, he's gonna ruin it. And I'm gonna think he's just a dog and a dirt bag. We go into the house, it's dark. We go in the front door, he goes out the back door. And now I'm like, am I about to get robbed? Am I getting punked? Like, I don't know where I am. I'm here, like Coach Blair goes missing. And in the back door walks this woman that I see at all of my games. And I ain't pokey. It's his mom. I didn't even know they were related. His sister sits on our scores table. I didn't even know that. <laughs> and she comes in and I'm like, and so I'm sitting there and I'm in this house and I'm like, this is your mom? And he's like, yes. And he's like, and she's like, and you know my daughter, Coach Blair, it's good to see you. You know, Lori, I said, Lori's your daughter? And he's like, she's like, yeah. 
And then literally it's like that movie, um, I can't remember, Sixth Sense, when everything stops and it's just like, oh, you brought me home to meet your mom on the first day. And for her, she stops and says, oh, Eric, you brought Coach Blair here? She pulled out the baby pictures, honey. We were sitting with the photo album for three hours. And from that day, we never left each other's side. From that day, a year later, we were married. And then little Blair came on. But yeah, he would, he would, let you, he would tell the story that she was sweating me the whole time. We all know the real story. Come on. We all right. know it was definitely the way you tell it. Oh. That just got really romantic really fast from uh, do NBA referees suck and do you work at Dunkin' Donuts? Right. To go to China. And then he's like, he, he'll tease me now. And he's just like, oh, I know you wanted to come to China. I was just, he was like, yeah, you would have dated me after that. I was like, see, that's why I didn't even go for all of this. So we go on from there and um, we start dating. And it's very apparent that we both have a passion for what we do. And I felt like in my last relationship, I sacrificed a lot of times my passion for this relationship. Like, oh, when are you going to get done? Or can you hurry up and finish recruiting? And as the woman in a relationship with what we do, it's hard for a man to kind of support what you do because they're used to you being the one at home or you being the. And so I always had those relationships that pulled at that. And um, I was just very upfront with him. When we started to get serious, I said, Eric, nothing can take me from these girls. These are like, this is why I'm here. And I know I was led here by God and there's something that I have to do. And so I can't sacrifice those things. And if you're used to a girl kind of being around, I'm just not her. And then he said, um, well, good. I'm glad you brought it up because I have a passion for refereeing. And there are, there are levels I want to climb. And I'm usually gone 13, 15 days out of a month. I was like, this is absolutely great because I'm gone too. Like, I'll see you when I see you. And most people couldn't handle that. And so we found each other that had the same kind of careers and it worked because when I left, I didn't have to feel, oh gosh, because then he would leave and then he would just fly to meet me at a game or I would leave a game and fly to see one of his games. And it just was a beautiful thing. And I think immaturity and being younger, there are people that probably couldn't have handled pe two people that wanted to follow their passions. And so it doesn't usually work out. But with this, because we had relationships that had come and gone, it was the perfect fit. And then we discussed having a family and I was like, yes, but um, 38 years old and I gotta uh, get this thing moving. <laughs> and so we got married and probably a month after the wedding we had, we were pregnant with Blair. and. Eric, Eric comes from a big family. I'm one of four. He's one of seven. And he always wanted to have, you know, children. I said, okay, well, if we're going to do this thing, look, I saw already pushing the thing at 40. Um, so we were able to freeze our eggs. So just in case that time came around that we wanted to do it later. And i tell you, ladies, I think I tell all these young girls, if I knew better, I would have done this at 25 and been done with it, just frozen them because we always as women like, okay, I'm 30, clock's ticking and you make bad decisions or you make rushed decisions because you think, oh, I'm running out of time. But now there's so much technology that if I would have just frozen them, I probably would not have had the pressure on me to do certain things. And so those eggs would have been nice and 25 instead of 38. And who knows what would have happened.
it could have been triplets, girl. I don't know, but <laughs> but you know, it's just like wow. I just you know, I don't know if that was just popular or pe or women don't talk about things, you know, and you know other things that had happened prior to me getting pregnant with Blair is in my last relationship, my other marriage. I was I had miscarriages, like two. And so it was like, I didn't know if I was gonna be able to have children. So I was upfront with Eric, like, I know you want a family, but this is what has gone on with my body. And I don't know. So we got, uh, we went to a doctor and we did mock-ups to find out if it was me and what could I do and all these things. And so it was just, um, it was the right. So I just, I just like to tell women that it's nothing to be ashamed of. Like, if you find a woman that you can talk to, like as women, we gotta talk about these things. Like to suffer a miscarriage in silence is hard enough. Um, to try again is harder, but to know that you have options to say, oh, I'm 35, what's gonna happen now? Well, you know what, why don't you just go freeze those puppies? Go on and freeze them. And then you can wait for Mr. Right instead of Mr. Right now, you know, and make those decisions. So like I told you, Brooke, I'm probably giving y'all too much information, but I've always been just an open book. <laughs> You being an open book, Vanessa, has helped the conversations we've had over the years and just it, it's so helpful. So we appreciate you sharing. Yeah. Brooke and I will sit on the baseline, Erica, and we are talking about uteruses. And this girl has made a layup and she's writing. And I know we're not looking at the same player. So I'm like, oh, your girl just dunked. But um, did my girl get, did my girl get off the... Did my girl get off the bench yet? Oh, I got a few more minutes. And so let me tell you, girl, after the third, and, we're, and then my coach, my yes. recruiting coach, Coach McCabe, will come over or send me a text, stop talking. I'm like, you send me out here on the road. I have things. I have friends. Don't send yes. me out. So she's like, July was so good for you this year because I didn't have to worry about you not working. <laughs> she was stress-free. Poor Chandler. <laughs> Oh, but it, I remember it was two Julys ago. You had Bryce out on the road with you. Yeah. And you know what? Yeah. And I don't stress. Like I used to be like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? You know, that, and so Eric's like, what are we going to do? I'm off in the summer. Let's pack up this van and wherever you got to go, I go. And literally no lie, Erica, every, see, he does refereeing camps. So just like we go to camps he runs camps in the Southeast. So every ref that has probably ref in the Southeast region has come through his camps. So when we go out to these games, he's right at home. I will look over and Shay, like from Maryland, Shay Robinson, he tapped me, hey, Vanessa, uh, Eric's over reffing on court too. He told you, here's his wallet. I'm like, what? <laughs> We're in like, I'm working. He's there. I'm like, well, where are the kids? Oh, uh, Marlon has one and uh, Coach Bolton got another. <laughs> And so, you know what, y'all, I just stopped worrying about it. I was just like, I would go over there and he's rough. And I'm like, I only have 30 minutes to eat. Can you come on? And so he goes and he works and he, he's not getting paid. He just enjoys it. And so there's, there's a game going on. They usually know him when he comes in. They're like, oh, that's Eric Lewis. I'm like, him? Y'all know him? And he just <laughs> goes off and we are at these events and his mom travels with us. She, that is like a big reason when you say, how can we do it? Like without her, it would. I wouldn't say it would be hard. We would probably have to hire someone we don't know um, that by now they probably would have been like these kids and y'all are crazy. But she was a pediatric nurse an emergency room nurse for 50 years. There's a road in Daytona named after her. Every kid in Daytona has been bandaged up by this one. We walk around, they're like, hey, Miss Pokey, 
she's she's like oh yeah i sold up him he got shot by somebody i'm like what <laughs> so she retired after blair after blair blair was like two or three years old she retired and then she came to live with us so wherever we go you're gonna see miss pokey there and she takes the kids and Eric and I'll go to the gym and we get there at 8 a.m. and we just kind of find each other. I'll see him, I'm like, oh, he's on court 44. Babe, I'm gonna go on down too. And he loves it. Love it. Oh, I bet. <laughs> it's a perfect little basketball it family. It is, and the kids don't I know mean, any it's... different. They sit there and they say, yeah. you know, you have all these mothers to me who are uh, stay at home, which is great. Uh, it is, that's a job I will not want to have. I, I knew that now that I'm homeschooling, like, nope, nope, somebody else, I need a break. Um, but they can kind of guilt you into feeling a certain way by some of the things you read, which I stopped reading because we're not normal. Like, and, but you know what? Everything about us is normal. And our kids don't know any different. They're like, oh, you have your kid in the gym for eight hours. I'm like, yeah, I know it was cold too, but I had a coat for him. Like, I don't, I don't allow you to guilt me. This is, I grew up in a gym with my dad and I feel like I'm okay. I know probably people would say she's crazy, but, but like, you know what? Your kids only know what they know. And as long as they're surrounded by love and when their active interests take on, like when Blair's playing basketball and, and stuff now, I'll tell my staff if it's a shoot around, a 10 o'clock game, because you know these little kids play at eight, nine in the morning. I'll say, y'all take the shoot around. Like, I have to be there for him. And I don't let the guilt happen. I don't, because when this is all said and done, I'm not going to remember the games January 27th against LIU that we won or lost. Blair's going to want to know, was I there for him? And the times that I can be, he knows that. And so sometimes we're ships passing in the night. Eric will go, and then I will come back. And so, but the kids, like, this has been the craziest part. He's been gone for 90 days. So the threats for day week one and two were like, I'm going to call your dad. No, mommy, no. This is how it goes now. I'm going to call your dad. Mommy, you know he ain't here. You just saw him on TV last night. He can't come through the TV, mom. So it's almost just like, you're going to get the belt and you're going to beat me. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to do it, but I will. I will, I will muster up the courage and I will spank you if I have to. Okay. So that I'm like, Eric, I cannot wait for you to come. So I, I told him like this, you know how a referee is running the trail. Now, trust me, I didn't know any of these positions before. I would just scream out, you should have called it. He's like, Vanessa, that's not her call. Well, what are you out here for? We have areas. I'm like, okay, well, I'm paying $2,700 a game for three of y'all. Y'all need to have the whole area for one hour, everybody share because she saw it. So anyway, the last referee coming down the floor, that's how I, I say it to him. He's like, Vanessa, let's call the trail. I'm like, I don't care. I just want him to get the call right. I said, you know how sometimes an errant pass by an athlete is thrown and the referee has to duck. I am going to throw these kids at him like one of those passes that sail up into the, and then I'm hitting the road for four days with my girlfriends. I said, you. I say, you can duck if you want to, but these kids are coming like a turnover. Oh my gosh. And he can't say anything. He's just like, okay. Uh. Y'all, let me tell you, this is, these are our conversations and it has taken like all of my friends and all of prayer to get me through these 90 days. Um, I will call him and he'll say, hey babe, can I call you back? There's a lot of whispering. I'm like, well, what's going on? Maybe they have a meeting. We're playing pickleball. Isn't that what old men play? 
He's like, yeah, well, we play pickleball. We have a pickleball tournament. I'm like, okay, well, I'm having trouble with additions and, and math. Um, it, call me back when you get free. So then I'll call another time. Babe, we're golfing right now. Oh, you're golfing. Okay. Okay. Well, the washing machine just flooded. Call me back when we can get a plumber here. Okay. And it's like everything broke down when he left. And it was just like, I'm no good at any of this. And one time I called and he was like, babe, we're right in the middle of dominoes. I said, okay, I guess spades is next. Call me later. The kids are throwing up everywhere. I'm and, and so part of me was like so upset, like at times, but I'm like, well, what are they supposed to do? They're stuck there. They can't leave. So they're playing all of these like, um, I hate to say it, but you know, home care hot, you know, games where <laughs> they like, uh, and I'm like, okay, what's next? Shuffleboard, what are you playing today? And so then I'm like, okay, you go work a game and then you're off for like five. I'm like, every day our regimen, we get up at six, I work out the six-year-old I'm homeschooling and we go from 7.30 to like 11.30, almost 12. Then I leave here and I go into work and I have my staff meetings and individual workouts. And then the Zoom calls, y'all all know, we have 90 million Zoom calls in the afternoon. I'm just like, they do not want to see me right now. So I sit here from four to 6.30 and then I get dinner on and then all the kids get in bed by nine. And it's like, there's no, there's been no time for Vanessa, like no time. I have a couple of friends around here and most of the things I like to do are working out. So it's always, and it's probably really good that I like that. Cause if I like to eat ice cream, I would probably be not the same person he left. He'd be like, girl, what is wrong? But so I have friends that I run with or I have friends that I lift with. Um, and then like on Friday afternoons is my day because we don't do anything at the school. Um, I'll finish up school with them and then my mom will take the kids and then I'll go maybe somewhere on the beach with my girlfriends just for the afternoon. So it's been, but it's like in your mind as a mom, you're like, okay, I got to come back to, da -da -da, we got to wash clothes. And it's like, you always, you, you can have help, but you still have to do it. It's like, you know, there's still stuff you have to do. I know it is really hard to be in the moment and disconnect and not just think about the work and the mom stuff you got to do. I think it's been harder these 90 days because Eric hasn't been around. Usually I'm like, I'm gone. You figure it out. Like, and then when he's gone, like I just figure it out. But like with him being gone too, it's like, and you know, the kids, I think the baby who's two, he sees them on FaceTime. We have prayer time every night at nine o'clock. So we put the big kids down and we, and the little one will say prayer time, mommy, prayer time. And so call daddy. So daddy's sitting there at the pool while the guys are smoking cigars. And we're, I said, can you just walk away from like the, the sin that's going on? So we can pray for five minutes. So we pray, it's puffs of smoke. I'm like, okay, all right. So we, we do that and like, I just, I think today when he comes in, like the two-year-old is probably never gonna let him, like I almost feel like the two-year-old thinks he doesn't really exist. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I know 90 days is a, an eternity. But I, mean, I always feel like, and I tell my girls, I feel like God always prepares you for something before it happens. And not that I think that anything negative is going to happen, but if I have to be in this position again, I know how to do it. Like I know that my strength is in Him. Like I, I lean on God we, you know, every morning, every night, and that I cannot make it and I could not make it without Him. And, um, I think that anything that doesn't end up in praise will end up in pride. And so 
I give God praise all the time in any of my interviews or whatever, because if you don't give him the praise, then it becomes I did and I didn't. I had fun going through it or I was, it was a nightmare, but God sustained me. And so in our house, we always say, whatever doesn't end up in praise will end up in pride. So we praise, we praise God all the time. We praise him through things, but just say like when he gets out, we've had these conversations. I said, Eric, you're coming out and nothing has changed. Y'all are going to start a season again. How is it going to look? You see how the NFL is like, you know, every other week. It's, it could be that you could go back into another bubble. Well, you know what? I wouldn't freak out. Like I, I, I've been prepared. And so you lose a game, you learn the lesson, you move on. And so I, I think that everything that happens in our lives, I tell my kids, I tell the girls, you know, as long as you don't lose the lesson, like you're always being prepared for something. Have you had other moms on your coaching staff or how have you mentored other maybe young moms or younger women that are thinking about being moms? What kind of advice would you give them to balance this whole thing? And, and what have you learned? Yeah, well, it's kind of crazy. I have not had any moms on my coaching staff. Before I came down here, I always had male assistants. I just kind of felt like it was a good balance of not crazy and, you know, them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I just, I really had some good male assistants. And so uh, when I got here, I was able to, you know, begin working with young women, but none of them have had babies. And I think now that none of them will. Coach McCabe, Chandler and, and Michi and Nikki are probably like, uh, we passed. Like <laughs> if my husband leaves me for 30 days and I got a deal like this, uh, but no, like they all take an active role. And you know, Brooke, like, They'll come over. And so one of my coaches is the PE teacher because I cannot do all of this. So she comes over in the afternoon and she she goes outside. They do basketball drills and PE. And so I think I think they're they are kind of like baby hungry or whatever. But um, I thought one of the best women that I heard speak at your thing was Agnes Baranato. Oh, my gosh. Were we dying in that room? And I know Aggie because she went to the Mount. I mean, we weren't there at the same time, but she was always a mentor to me coming up. And Aggie lives life out loud. And, you know, she is hilarious. But I just remember in there when she was like, don't stress it. And she's a good old Catholic girl. They had five kids, you know. So imagine like, you know, and she, I just remember at all of her stops. I remember she was at Pitt. I remember she was at Georgia Tech. And it, she just kind of, She's like, they'll figure it out. Like they're, they're, they're kids, they're not gonna break. Like you show them how to be and you just go on. And when she said, I couldn't find one of the kids for the, for the family picture. So we just grabbed the kid from next door, put him in a suit and that picture stayed in the media guide for five years. And like, you, you feel like you have it all together at some points and then you meet someone like her and it's just like, oh, like that's a whole nother level of stress I don't need. Like you just find a way to figure it out. She's like, get the boy next door. And they took this picture and I would have been, oh my gosh, like where's Blair, where's Bryce? And, 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 they, just, and they just figure it out. And that, you know, when you get to those times and when you get to those moments that are new and that are fresh, you know, you just have to believe that there's a power that is bigger than you, that you're not here by accident. God does not wake up and freak out because COVID happened. He's not running around heaven like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? No, we have a power source there. Like, you know, you, you have to plug into something that is greater than you. And I always tell my girls, and I'm at a Christian school, and I was at a Christian school at Mount St. Mary, so I've always been able to live my faith. And that is a big reason why the choices I've made to stay where I've been versus going somewhere else is because I'm just at a point in my career where I don't want to change my faith for wins. And if I can't be authentic and I can't be myself, 
um, it's not worth it because at the end of the day, I'm gonna be judged not by, did I beat Florida State? Didn't happen. Um, it's gonna be, did I, was I, was I bold enough to speak about Christ in their lives and, and offer them that gift of salvation? And so that's, that's my win. And so when I talk to young people, I'm like, you've got to have something bigger than yourself. Otherwise you will freak out every time something happens. Well, we wrap up every episode the same way. And I feel like you could take this a lot of different directions, but I want to ask you, what is winning the game for you right now? Oh my goodness. You do not want to know right now. Right now would be getting on I-4 in the next two hours and breaking him out of this bu bubble. If I got to ram this pickup truck through the hotel doors, I'm getting in there and I'm getting him out. Um, no, just to be honest, I, I, I just want our players to be healthy. I do not want this game to be bigger than their life. And I think that we have been um, feeling like we've been in such control as just human beings. And right now what's out of control is the virus and it's undefeated. And I don't want to sacrifice playing a game of basketball for one of my kids' lives. And so I want them to be healthy and I want them to be mentally healthy because as much as we are like, okay, let's just move on. Imagine what they feel packing and unpacking every day. You know, you know what you're supposed to do we're like, okay, we get information, we go, we go unpack the car, we go pack it back. But that kid is being juggled back and forth. And so always having the time and the space, even if it means, hey guys, today, I see that we're having a tough time. Let's not practice, let's just talk. And you know what girls, it's not hard. They're gonna have something to talk about. And just finding like constraints or ways to lead a conversation where they feel like during this pandemic, cause this is new for them too. And they look to us like we've been through it. I'm like, hey, y'all look, I wasn't here for the swine flu. I was not here for Ebola. I wasn't here for the chicken pot. Like, I don't know this stuff either. So just being transparent with them that we don't have the answers. We have the answers when you're coming off that screen and roll, but right now we're all in the same place. And I let them see when I struggle. Like I let them know that like y'all, I'm having a tough day right now. The baby is sick, Eric's gone. They're like, oh, can we come to a drive by for Blair? And they will, they'll drive by and just hold up signs and say, and so they get, to be a part of all of us, you know? And I just think that there is always a win in a difficult situation and you just gotta find a way to do it. And right now for me, it's my players physically being okay and mentally being in a great place. I wanna come play for you. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be like, this girl is absolutely crazy. This one, Chandler, like they always like, oh, when is Chandler gonna leave? Chandler's awesome. She could go anywhere. And she's just like, y'all don't know. My boss is like, we have a good time. Like we just, life yeah. is just so, and if we haven't known it before right now, it's so short. Like you have no idea. Like you think 80 is your benchmark. If I can get to age 80, like I've lived a full mm -hmm. life. Yeah, people not getting to age 30, you yeah. know? Absolutely, and so, puts it in perspective. Yeah. For sure. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. I mean, again, we have so many moms on here. We're just like, how did you find time for this interview? But we're so happy you did. And so glad that Eric's back. And just wish you the absolute best this season uh, for your team and for your family too. Thank you so much. We want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in to the Moms and Coaching Podcast. We hope you'll join us again for our next episode. Also, we'd love to hear from you. 
You can email us at momsincoaching at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Moms in Coaching. Bye everyone. Until next time. <laughs>